And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. We are explorers. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness, that is life. We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Base, the final frontier. Make it so. Do it. Hit it. Let's fly. He's Aiden. And she's Lindsay. And together we're the Bix. Indeed we are. And today we're here to talk about the Wrath of Khan. Star Trek Two. Yes. Specifically the Wrath of Khan. The one that everybody says is the best? Up there. Definitely everybody. I've seen I it top a lot of people's lists. I Yeah. Yeah. I think that will be one of our major discussion points today is where does it kind of rank? Because... It is, uh, it's, I enjoy it. It's one yeah, of my it's, favorite ones, for as sure. As a standalone, a standalone film, it's pretty good. Yeah. Like, yeah. it has all the characters, it has everything you need to make an interesting plot, like, carry through. It's got good conflict. Um, even if you don't know the, the lore, the history of Khan and the yeah. augments and the, you know, eugenics wars and everything, you, you still appreciate the fact that he's this, like you know big bad big bad right and and so yeah there's there's a lot of drama to it it's a it's a it's a it's a good movie it's a good movie yeah. and it is a great star trek movie and absolutely I, I think those are uh, two things that go hand in hand um so yeah we're, we're gonna talk about it um we're gonna bring our opinions obviously as we always do mm-hmm. um and you know the opinions of some other uh greats throughout the time that have you know also listed this as i remember reading the review section on wikipedia when i was just doing a bit of research here and like even only like, the best for our fans <laughs> well you know they get that they, they should expect <laughs> that at this point but yes uh th- th- it was the big names of the time you know mm. siskel and ebert you know gave it two thumbs up or mm-hmm. um i think it was just ebert at the time i don't know if they'd started the show yet but uh he gave it three and a half out of four stars or something yeah, like yeah. that you know like it was a very well received movie um it did well in the box office and it is widely credited Credited as the movie that really uh, saved the franchise of Star Trek yeah. and carried it forward. So. Especially considering, oh, we talked about the motion picture. As much as we liked the motion, well, I liked the motion yes, picture. as much as Lindsay liked the motion um, picture. And I think other people like it too. It's 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 receiving a bit of a, a resurgence in popularity, I think, a reevaluation as the years have gone by. But Wrath of Khan has always been a popular yes, entry yes. in the franchise. And so I think, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Could you dim the lights a little? I'm a doctor, Mr. Neelix, not a decorator. Yeah, so let's start with, uh, as we often do, the production history. Um, I, I'm just going to read my note verbatim on this first one. Yeah, I know. Because uh, it says, though no one liked the motion picture. So it was- already, factually <laughs> incorrect. 
Okay. Factually incorrect. What, what, what I meant was I, I meant to say was nobody in the studio, nobody in Paramount oh. really liked the process of creating the motion picture. They hated Ron oh, Berry's rewrites. Mm-hmm. They hated the way that it went way over budget. Um, there were a bunch of problems with the creation of the motion picture. We know. Yes, we which know. we talked about. And, and <laughs> you know, then there was the actual product itself, which wasn't great in my, my, my opinion, at least. Um, but it was nonetheless a big financial success. I think it made like $130 million at the yeah. box office or something yeah. like that. So a big success. Paramount, obviously... Give us another movie. Um, but this time, we don't want that Roddenberry guy in charge. <laughs> uh, they basically punted him to like... He, uh, he wrote a script for it or he wrote he, a treatment yes, for it or something, right? Yes, he wrote the first first draft of something that was not at all anything to do with Khan. It was... it was Time travel? Yeah, it was a time travel one. I think it was he's the, the crew has to go back in time to allow JFK to be assassinated. Because the aliens have gone back in time to stop it. It's it's actually, there's a lot of similarities between this movie <laughs> and First Contact. And we'll, wow. we'll get into that. Okay. But the idea of a time travel to stop someone from doing something. In order to set the timeline back? Yeah, is is was already there. So Interesting. Just just as a, as a throwaway. Um, but yeah, so he wrote this thing. N- nobody liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was shunted out of production and into this consultant, executive consultant or creative consultant right. kind of role or whatever. Right. Um, and yeah, he... Uh, he sat there and didn't have much of anything to do with the movie. It was really quite, it's the first Star Trek where he was not really involved. Yeah. Really involved and really critical to the creation of it. Yeah. Um, And we'll talk about what, what that, that the implications of that are, I guess. Um, Yeah. So there were a series of writers who did come in to create the script. Um, It was eventually finalized uh, by the director himself, Nicholas Meyer, Mm -hmm. who, um, if you didn't know, I didn't know this. Uh, I, I knew he'd done a few other projects and, and films and stuff like yeah. this. Uh, but he originally came to fil- to fame as a writer, uh, mm-hmm. writing Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh, his uh, he's a fanfic writer. Well, basically, I think that's how you could summarize it. Is uh, <laughs> his first one, uh, the Seven Percent Solution, was a Sherlock Holmes story, straight up. Was it um, just a story, or was it a film, or no? Like, it was a book. It was a, a novelization. Book. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, they. I think he eventually wound up writing, adapting it into a screenplay. Huh. Um, and then he also wound up directing. I don't think it was that first book, but mm-hmm. he wound up directing another film. And then by the 80s, he was kind of well-known in Hollywood as cool. kind of a script director all around. You so know, there's hope for fanfic writers. Yes, yes, I'd say so. <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, he kind of famously entered this movie having no idea mm-hmm. about Star Trek. He'd never mm-hmm. seen a thing, never dealt with anything about it. Um, and he basically arrived at like, well, it should be like Horatio Hornblower in space, <laughs> which is famously what Roddenberry based it on. All right. Uh, so All right. it's kind of funny that they they both kind of approached it from the similar thing. And and there are well, a lot yeah, of... yeah, it makes a lot of sense when does. you think about it. Yeah, and, and this one really, really leans into the naval yes, aspect. Yes, it does. Um, which... I, there were episodes in the original series that did. There were some that didn't. Um, you know, you definitely had a wagon train in space feel for more of it yeah. uh, rather than the hornblower stuff. But it is there and it really makes a comeback in, in this one. So uh, it's one of the strengths. Um, and basically, Meyer rewrote the script about 12 days before they were set to start Oh, wow. Filming, or before they needed a finalized script yeah. to start uh, pre-production or something like that. Um, so, and that's basically what we got was his cool. finalized script. He doesn't even get a writing credit. He was just like, yeah, I'm just going to make some tweaks. And then eventually... Oh, he directed it, but he didn't get the writing yeah. credit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, it sounds like the production was pretty cheap compared to well compared to the motion picture anyway yeah um i think they spent less on this film than they did on like filming a whole season of 
um, which actually makes sense that you would spend more on a season, but well, it's but, like but it was 1968 dollars, yeah, and all of a sudden it's 1982, and you're spending 12 million dollars to make a film that looks this good, yeah, like that kind of. I mean, there were a lot of practical effects. This is actually notable for being, I think it said the first the first true full CGI only S- sequence. sequence. Yes, the Genesis in film, yeah, the Genesis the, the Genesis planet. planet CGI thing. So even with that, I mean, this film would have been you know a hundred two hundred million dollars if like yeah, Marvel now, if yeah. mouse money was involved, <laughs> but um, for twelve million dollars, like yeah. That's impressive. That's impressive. I mean, they obviously had to cut a lot of corners. There's a lot of sets obviously reused. They reused almost everything from the original or from the motion picture. Yeah. Um, There were a few things like the Klingon, I believe it was the Klingon uh, bridge got repurposed as the uh, Reliance Bridge or something like that. Like there were a lot of like straight swaps and stuff like that to help move things along. Um, But yeah, and even some of the the stuff from the 60s as well. Um, And they they even famously reused the, the Stardock shot which I complained oh, yes, about at right, length in, right. in our motion picture episode uh, I know they reused that one well, for you know it was 12 minutes long so you could have just grabbed 20 seconds of it and nobody no would one, notice no one would know no one would notice exactly so there we are um, but they did film it entirely on sound stages I believe yeah it was almost entirely yeah yeah, yeah. so even the SETI Alpha 5 yeah SETI Alpha, which, Alpha 5 yeah. Yes, which we're yes. gonna we'll talk about. Yeah, the six and five. Yeah, Anyways. Aiden Aiden noticed a glaring plot hole when we were watching this. Just, yeah, as I was watching through my fingers because I really hate that sequence, <laughs> so I didn't even pay attention to what was being said. We had to pause and I had to explain <laughs> it to her like three times, and she's like, "What are you talking about?" Just, but anyways, yeah. Anyway, um, and yeah, and then let's talk about the the costumes. We get another yeah. costume redesign, but it kind of sticks. I mean. Two, three, and four are basically like part one, two, and three of a trilogy, a mini yeah, trilogy that exists yeah. within the six original series films. Yeah. Um, because it kind of, they take place literally like one after the other. It's like a back to the future type type thing. Yeah. Um, so the costumes stay the same, but we get the introduction of the monster maroon, which is like the classic, like, is it your favorite uniform? I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of partial to like the TNG DS9 era. Yeah, I do, uniforms, I do like the color dissociation. The color yeah, yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, this one feels again because they were going for that naval field. This yeah. one feels like the most oh, realistic yeah. uniform because everybody they looks have. the same. Yeah, you can tell their different like divisions by the color of the turtleneck. Yeah, that they wear underneath the like the the, the actual uniform, the jacket yeah, 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 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's subtle, and everybody looks like it's a cohesive unit, yeah. as opposed to the really, really drab pajamas that they were wearing in the motion picture. Yes. Um, <laughs> the and, gray and, and then yeah. less flamboyant, I guess, than the TNG season yeah. one, two, Jump where suits, they were again yeah. like yeah. pajamas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this this iconic uniform which mm-hmm. just makes everybody look good no matter who you are you look good wearing a monster maroon absolutely so, it's yeah, yeah it, it just worked like right. if i were to buy a, a costume i'd probably buy science's blue first because i think blue is my sure. color but next it would be the monster maroon. yeah like I, if i, I was like, gonna cosplay yeah exactly like i feel like if you're gonna show up in a in a you know space where nobody's expecting star trek yes and then you show up in this yes. like star trek it yes. still has that connection yeah whereas i feel like maybe yeah tng maybe the original series kind of to an extent, but like 
I mean, how many uniforms have there been in Discovery? Mm-hmm. And it, like Lower Decks makes fun of it all the time. Like, yeah. You know, the number of costumes and, and different, different uniforms, uniforms and, and everything that they uniform, have. Like the slight changes and everything <laughs> like that that have been made over the years. There's no cohesion whatsoever. It's kind of a joke in yeah. the Star Trek fandom. But, yeah. But this um, one is like, and I love that even in the next generation when they like show things in the past. Like yeah, when yeah, the car yeah. goes back in time. He's wearing the Or uniform. like Wesley meeting his, his yeah. dad on the holodeck, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like the Monster Marine again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great. It's I've great never costume. heard it as Monster Room. Where'd really? You, yeah, where'd, where'd you hear that? Uh, it, like, everywhere? <laughs> okay, I guess I haven't been looking everywhere then. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need to watch more Trek culture. Yeah, okay. I yeah, think. Fair, fair. Shout out to Trek culture. Uh, let's talk about the music. Yeah. James Horner. Yes. I know James Horner because I fell in love with the Titanic soundtrack as a 12-year-old Leonardo DiCaprio fan back in the day. And Celine Dion, let's be honest. Uh, less about the Celine Dion song. Well, but that's, that's a shame, but yes. Um, yeah, James <laughs> Horner does the, the score. And okay, so you really like the score. I do. I Yeah, yeah. Why? It is it is fitting with the, the themes and it fits the action adventure kind of ethos of the movie like it, it really does feel like it's it's contributing to this you know to you know kirk and khan and their their polar opposites and they're they're at each other's throats mm-hmm. and that's the whole movie really is essentially that that dynamic and then kirk's friendships and getting old and all these other right. themes that are kind of layered in there um but it's really you know at its heart you know khan you know that that's kind of like the summary of it and the music just fits that it's it's swashbuckling and it's it's very uh but it's very sci-fi-ish at the same time like it, it See, does kind of match that's where i disagree with this yeah. assessment and i said this when we were watching it that yeah yeah it seems like less of a star trek score and more of a star wars score and i think it's the introduction of there's so much there's so many string moments like where you have yeah. like sections where it's just sweeping strings that, you know, these romantic motifs that show up that you're just like, it, it, I feel like I'm, I should be, you know, but the, but tilting main... down onto Tatooine or something, <laughs> right? Instead of like A looking nice at the space stuff. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like that it's, it's very obvious that this is a film that's, it's 1982, Star Wars has yeah. been hugely successful. Yeah, it's true. So we let's don't... lean into that a little bit more. And that's, you know, Star Trek is very brassy. Like, I feel like it's a very bright and aggressive brass. Like, that's where the best music in Star Trek has always come from, is, like, horns and trumpets and, yeah, you know. Yeah, you're, you're, especially your big themes, like your DS9, your... Yeah, your and, and not that there aren't... Stuff. Yeah. You know, you know, and there's oboes and clarinets and shit, but you know, French horns and violins. I I feel like that needs to be shuffled off to you know the side. And I, it it did bring me out. That's all I'm saying. Like I I don't hate it. I just feel like it brought me out of the moment and made me realize that I'm in a world where the studio is responding to pressure to be like Star Wars, which is sad because Star well, Trek is its own thing. It, it is, doesn't but I mean, it was already be... it was already then the original in the motion picture as well. No, it totally, was, it was responsive. But, but the motion picture was way more sci-fi. It it leaned in the opposite direction. It tried to differentiate itself yeah. way more from Star Wars yeah. by saying we're cerebral and we're gonna have this like six hour shot of the <laughs> ship yeah I got right it. but it's 
it's like, you know, they, they diverged quite strongly in the opposite direction. And I feel like Wrath of Khan brings it back a little bit, almost a little bit too much. And that's my one main criticism of of the film. It's okay, just but- that I feel like they're they're making this... Not that it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a, it's a great movie. I just feel like Star Trek... Well, this is a precursor to our Bix log, I think. We're going to get into this a little bit more. Um, I just think Star Trek can stand on its own two feet. And, and I feel like this movie... Does that. It does. <laughs> but I feel like it's it's hearkening back to another, in my opinion, lesser franchise. I mean, okay, I will admit it's definitely, you know, it definitely has the input of, of Star Star Wars, for sure. I mean, I don't think any studio putting out a sci-fi movie. No, you could Dune came out the same year, right? Yeah, or the yeah. year after? I don't remember. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, obviously Lynch's Dune was a travesty because it didn't, it did. It, it tried to pay some of an homage to Star Wars and the success of that mm-hmm. franchise um, without doing its own thing. And I feel like Star Trek yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't do that here. It did not try and be no, Star Wars. It tried to be the pulpier parts yes, of Star yes, Trek. Yes. Yes. And I think it, it it works well for that. But you're but you're right. Absolutely. There's there's definitely a you can't ignore the influence. And I mean, I think that's actually one of the other things we we're going to talk about was the special effects. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're done by uh, ILM. Uh, Industrial Light and Magic, the, mm-hmm. the same guys. They were kind of... They, they were did, the only they, guys yeah, in town. And yeah, and I think they did most of TNG as well. Like, the, yeah. that was kind of their thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, actually, the team... I, that This was also on Wikipedia, actually. <laughs> the team that, that did the 3D... Uh, the Genesis. The Genesis projects. video mm-hmm. um, eventually became the team that became Pixar. So this is oh, really? like literally... This is the origin of Pixar. It's the Genesis of Pixar? Oh, my God. Wow. High five. <laughs> so if you ever like Finding Nemo or any Pixar classic... Uh, it started here in 1982. With Carol Marcus narrating a video about yeah, yeah. the creation of a plan. So yeah, <laughs> cool. it's it's really cool. Um, and yeah, the, there were also a lot of obviously practical effects as well. It wasn't mm-hmm. all CGI. Um, they they had to build a new model for the Reliant. Yeah. Um, which was because cameras had gotten better and the technology had gotten better. They reused the old one from the motion picture for the Enterprise. Yeah. Which was huge. Yeah. And very hard to manage and heavy and it had to be yeah. lifted by like a forklift, I think, or something yeah. like that. Um, so but they the made the Reliant a little bit tighter. Smaller. And smaller. Well, it's, yeah. it's a smaller ship too. It is. Like, but you know. I mean, it, in in camera, they look about the same. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The, the saucer section at least looks really close. So um, yeah, and they were very, obviously they, these were very expensive models for a movie mm. that didn't have a lot of budget. Mm-hmm. You couldn't rebuild it if you broke it. So they, they were very precious about it. So all those damage effects and everything, those were kind of like added in post somehow. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. one of those, one of those things. So the, the special effects, they also got a bit of slack for the special effects. People really? were uh, not as impressed by them. Um, I'm not sure why. It was very kind of vague. People were just like, well, they don't look as good as, I think, again, Star Wars Star Wars was kind of leading the way, which is funny because ILM was doing them both. So uh, I don't, huh. and I don't notice, I think no, it's it pretty good seem, contemporary. Yeah, like, yeah, the, like a 1982 action film, you with, know. Spent with sci-fi stuff, with space battles and yeah, stuff. Like that's really where most of the effects are. Um, yeah. Is in the space battles. So I don't know what people I don't, are I don't get about. the flack that but, they would get from that. Anyways. Um, like you said, it was released to very positive reviews, mm-hmm. did well at the box office. I think it took in nearly a hundred million dollars, yeah, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. For um, 12 million budget. For yeah. a 12 million. Yeah. That's like a, what percent return on your investment? A lot. A lot. <laughs> um, and yeah, as you said, it's the one that, uh, kind of re, re-energized the franchise, brought yeah. it back to the public consciousness and certainly enabled, number three to be made which enabled number four and by that point 
you know, Next Generation was already in pre-production. So um, without the success of Wrath of Khan, I think we don't see anything that we have beyond that. Yeah, to this day. We we talked about, you know, the motion picture kicking it off. um, But this was really, it was like, yeah, if if the motion picture hadn't made enough money, Paramount wouldn't have been interested in making a second. And if the second hadn't done well, they definitely wouldn't have continued on. So, uh, yeah, and I'm always curious. Like, I, I wonder if they would have even going with Roddenberry's terrible. Sorry, it is terrible. Roddenberry's terrible first script of mm-hmm. you know, going back in time to kill JFK. Uh, you know, like that right. that kind of idea. I wonder if that still would have done okay. Or, you know, just because they were such a dedicated group of Star Trek fans. And, like, yeah. my parents, again, when yeah. we had them on, they were, you know, we were just happy to see Star Trek. And yeah. we'd go back and watch it again. And it's well, like... Well, I think that only takes you so far. And yeah. I And I think the problem that I hear from this Roddenberry initial treatment script thing, it feels like you, you couldn't just take an episode of Star Trek and expand it and make yes. a movie out of it. I don't think that would have carried the franchise forward. Yeah. We've seen how that happened with, you know, the next generation films mm-hmm. or even Star Trek five, which again, feels like a, yeah, a, a, an episode that's just been expanded. Out, yeah. And those are always the worst entries, right? Yeah. So you, if they had done that, if they had done a, let's go back in time and, you know, fix the past kind of thing. It's like, Oh, well we're just, yeah, you know, City well, yeah. on the edge of forever. It's well, it's it is all over again, yeah, right? Yeah, so, right. And, and it, people aren't gonna aren't gonna come back and pay money to go to the theaters to see that. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's again. it again. It is interesting though that um, I mean, at the core, I mean, you have an idea for a story, mm-hmm. and whether or not that story is movie length or TV length, yeah, really kind of depends. I mean, is a two parter? Yeah, you know, like is best of both worlds. Is that a movie? Because well, it's an hour and a half. Yeah, like, but you're 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 still there's a difference between doing. A television show that has to, especially a television show that's built around commercials. Yeah, you have to hit plot beats in in a. There's the pacing is very different. Yeah. Whereas a movie, you can have more. There's just more time built into it for uh, character development and yeah. thematic Definitely. ideas. Yeah, you don't have to be hitting them over the head with it as often as you know a two part series yeah. episode would have to do. So, I wouldn't call the Best of Both Worlds a movie, even though they you know, air it sometimes as like, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, an event. Yeah. It's not a movie. It's not, you have to set out with the intention of making a movie. It's, it doesn't just happen. I think that does a disservice to screenwriters. And yeah, no, for sure. Writers. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I just think it's, it's, I think the, you know, you need a good core idea you, you can turn that into a movie yes, or a TV series. But I think that's show. where Roddenberry wasn't, wouldn't have been able to turn that into yes. a movie. Yeah. So I think, you know, he could have had that original idea and then in the hands of somebody else, it might have become a good movie. So maybe his idea would have turned into a good movie. But if he had been involved with writing it and directing it and having his fingers in all the pies like he liked to do, mm-hmm. I think it probably would not have been the same level of success and we probably would have seen a very different yeah outcome yeah. for yeah. star trek yeah no i agree i think yep mr data you all right yes sir i'm attempting to fill a silent moment with non-relevant conversation so we're bringing back uh i don't know if this is a fan favorite section <laughs> I, it's just it's my not, favorite it's section. my least favorite section yeah that's because you have to do it well this time um we didn't do it for the motion picture uh, we might not ever do it again, we're just, but we're doing it today. We're doing it today, a 30-second plot synopsis. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, oh, I need to get a timer. Yeah, get a timer, everyone, Lindsay. Uh, for those of us, for those of you who haven't listened to our Shakespeare episodes, uh, we every time we discussed a play, we did try and summarize the entire thing in thirty seconds. And I would usually get to about Act One, Scene Four by twenty-five <laughs> seconds, and then I'd be uh, just just struggling for those last couple moments. Well, so. and and again, those of you who have been listening since twenty sixteen, when we started this podcast, know that Aiden is famously bad with um, names. You get the details right, but the names, and then you stumble over the names of these I characters, really and you waste like names. five seconds total, like just trying to pausing, trying to remember names, or so. you know, like saying that guy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. So it's bad. Um, but so, I think I think you, I, I have faith in you this time. Well, you shouldn't. That Mostly for the entertainment value. Misplaced faith, Lindsay. That's good. Thirty seconds on the clock. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one. So. There's a device called the Genesis device that can terraform a dead planet into a living one. And there is a, they're looking for a place to test this place. So they, uh, Chekhov's on a ship that's going to do that. Uh, they find Khan on this dead planet. Khan takes over the bad guy's ship and puts bugs in, in uh, Chekhov's ears. Then, meanwhile, they uh, go and steal Genesis, therefore prompting the Enterprise, who's under command of Kirk and, every, and the whole team, bunch with a, along with a bunch of cadets, pull them into the, to the travesty that is the, uh, the nebula, and they fight it out, and uh, bad things happen. Oh my god, that was, what the fuck was that? <laughs> See, I think I think your <laughs> See, problem. So you go for the inciting incident, and then you go out from there. But, the, but what is wait, the inciting you, incident well, for this one? I, that's a good point. I mean, I think <laughs> I think it it does kind of start in mm. Media Rise, where you're yeah. like, the Genesis Project is already there. They're halfway to figure out, you know, is this the right planet? Yeah. And then you get the reveal that Khan is there, and um, that. <laughs> That I guess that would be the inciting. Well, that's where I got right? to. That's Again, exactly where you got to. Fourteen seconds yes. in, but yes. I got there. Okay. But beyond that, yes. you there's the the interpersonal drama of the yeah, the leader of the Genesis Project is Captain Kirk's former lover, who Whose with son. whom they have a son. They share a son who is angry Dang. at dad. Who you know. I don't know. I don't know. Did they? I think the decision was made to just not because it was too dangerous or whatever, but there's still love between Kirk and Carol. Um, But David is, you know, chip on his shoulder and comes to recognize the wisdom and love of his father by the end. Um, And they hug it out. Yeah, they do hug it out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the Spock ties, you missed the most important part of the plot. And we didn't talk about this Spock. in the production history, but it was a well-known fact that Spock yes. was being written out of the movie yes. at, at this point. In fact, in an early draft, he was he was dead a third of the way through the film. He died oh, really? very early on. It was like a big surprise. It was like like you were, they were going to shock the audience. And oh the God. rest of it was going to be kind of like Kirk getting back at, at Khan for, for doing killing this. Spock. Yeah, um, but they obviously changed it around and it wound up the way it and, was. But yeah, yeah. Um, Khan obviously being a throwback to the original series, first season episode, Space Seed. Yep. This ubermensch who's been, like, fired off into space and is then re-energized by the the original series uh, crew and then 15 years later is, you know, seeking revenge for stranding them on this planet. Can I explain the problem with SETI Alpha 5? Please do SETI Alpha 5 and 6. they... In Spacey, they dropped them off on SETI Alpha 5. Yes. Which was a lush, you know, lots of things going on. And we know that planets are named 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 based on their position in orbit around whatever the, star, the star that is. is. So the okay. first planet, the closest planet is 1, is one. second so is 2, this is, two, the three, fifth four, planet this is the fifth planet sequence. out from the sun. Yes. Then they were they they go there and they're like, oh, this is SETI Alpha 6. 
okay, so you're a little so confused. So they landed on, they've they're landed on they Seti Alpha on, 5. Yes, but, but they, they think, think it's Seti Alpha 6. Because? And then, because when they Chekhov and them talk, he's like, we dropped you on Seti Alpha 5. It was a wonderful, beautiful planet. And he's like, this is Seti Alpha 5. Seti Alpha 6 blew up, and the explosion caused this planet's, you know, orbit to fuck, up, fuck itself up. And, uh, but that doesn't make any sense, because... Why would you think that that one's six? It's still the fifth planet. So in you're the saying, row. as they're approaching the SETI Alpha system, yes, Chekhov should have looked out the window and counted the number of planets and known that they were heading to number five. five. Yes, and and wondered and thought, hmm, what's going on here? Yeah. Okay, so maybe check. Okay, I I understand. That was a better explanation than anything you offered <laughs> me the other night when we were watching it. I'm just throwing that out there. You were yeah okay, sure. But I think. I think the the problem there is you you've said it the the shock of finding out that this lush planet is no longer lush it's a barren desert yeah. is maybe enough to say maybe we got the wrong planet this must not be the right planet because we dropped you off on this lush planet and this but is not the lush planet But there's sensors that just scan and just say I know like, oh, that's nobody count. said Chekhov was the best that okay. Starfleet and, has to offer and, and we are going to mention very briefly the fact that Chekhov was not on the episode no, of he the space was not. Uh, so, so he, he was, might not have known. He might have been a little bit. But Khan says, "I never forget a face." So there, I'm just saying that is a well-known a plot, plot hole. hole but Fine. yes, a small one along with number five and well, six. Well, you've made it. You've, I'm just saying. You've made it quite big. Okay, good. Um. <laughs> anyway, I love the fact that it's it's a revenge story. Mm-hmm. Which is like one of the more primal. It's it's very Shakespearean. You can't get away from Shakespeare in these original. Uh, anything in the original series movies. No. Um, so you've got Khan out for revenge against Kirk. Yeah. And meanwhile, Kirk is dealing with his own, you know, aging issues because, which I think is hilarious. Like you wrote in the notes that it's like 12 years later that he's fighting off um, Soren in the, <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. what is it called? In the the nexus. nexus. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's not that old, but... Um, you know, but he the, was getting up there. I mean, they all were. I mean, these... well, it's a nod to that, right? It's, yeah, it is absolutely. And and the fact that he's got a son who's old enough to be a doctor, yeah. like you know, it it makes sense. Yeah. Kirk wasn't a young pup in the original series either, right? No. Like he he was in his mid thirties, which I think. Yeah, yeah, I think in, in, the, in the show, I think they mentioned mentioned he's like, oh, I'm thirty two or something like that. And we commented at the time like he's only thirty two. Like he seems like he's in his like mid thirties yeah. or something like that. So yeah, now he'd be in his fifties maybe or, yeah. or late forties. Like, yeah, not a young man anymore. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, yeah, he's, he's, you know, this whole thing with the Genesis planet is actually really interesting that, um, you could terraform a planet like instantly yeah. and you can create life there. And of course that's a powerful instrument yeah. that, um, a lot of people would want to get their hands on. Yeah. Uh, but they don't know that it works. And then they find out in the end that it does work and Khan dies. And, um, unfortunately, in the process, the Enterprise is damaged to the point that they will not survive the blast of this Genesis device, device yeah. that Khan has um, set Start. rigged to go. Yeah. And that's when Spock sacrifices his life for the Enterprise. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. Um... So yeah, I mean that's a much longer than thirty second synopsis, but there's a lot. There is a lot. Yes. Dude, you're right. Absolutely harder than a five act play. 
Yeah, actually, this has like multiple five acts. No, it has three. But anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the that's the movie in in a nutshell. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a it's a riveting ride. Let's put it that way. A riveting ride. Two thumbs way up, way up. from Aiden. <laughs> um. So you think that it's up there? You probably put it tied with First Contact. I would say is it's it better. I'd say it's second. I'd say First Contact is slightly better. But yeah, I'd say it's my second favorite. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek film, yeah. Yeah, although I, I have mean, not, we have not yet watched all of the uh, the Kelvin universe, the Kelvin ones. universe ones. That's although true. I don't think I, I enjoyed the first one, but I watched. Yeah, I can't see. I can't see them. Can't see them reaching the level of yeah this of this yeah. or first contact. But yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. I I mean I think there are. I'm less inclined to like an action movie. I like the the ones Cerebral, that make you think yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I think that's why I like number five so much um and why i like the motion picture so much but this is it's definitely a tight film like it's only it's less than two hours long yeah like it's and it packs a lot in it does not feel like it's less than two hours there's only like what maybe like seven eight major sequences in the film like there's basically like they're like from think from like the when the the two ships fight for the first time Mm -hmm. to the end there's like six scenes really in between there like they they you know they go to the reliance they check out what's going on there they beam down they have the little genesis planet Mm -hmm. they beam back up they fight again in the nebula and then they escape Mm -hmm. that's the whole movie like Mm -hmm. it's literally a very yeah very short tight yeah focused film um but it does it does work really well um that way yeah i think so and and it well i think it it hits it does everything that the motion picture didn't or couldn't (laughs) Right? Like in what, in what sense? Well, I mean, it's it is literally the polar opposite of of the motion picture. Yeah, there's with the the exception of that the what we're calling the submarine scene, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about. Um, there's not a lot of like slow lingering shots like you have with the motion picture, yeah. and there's there's not a lot of pontification and and cerebral no. philosophizing going on. No, it, you get you get a little quote at the end from Kirk that's you know hits the nail on the head with you know term in terms of the friendship theme that we've got going on and but it's not it's not the motion picture they went hard right from that yeah or a hard turn away from it let's say yeah yeah it is i mean at its heart at its heart it is an action adventure yeah movie first i'd say and a sci-fi film second um, but it is still a sci-fi film. It's it, like it, I, I, I would, how do you how do you say it's a sci-fi film with such confidence? What what? Okay, well, I, I mean, I guess the Genesis is the sci-fi part. Well, and they're in I'll space and they're yes, but just because they're in and, like, space doesn't mean in Star Wars is in space, and we don't call that sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But this is still Star Trek. Like there yes, are I still know. you know yeah. there's there's still rules and and you know it's not fancy. It is hard. It's a little softer sci-fi, but it's it is still sci-fi. I feel like it's kind of up there with a lot of other '80s movies that you know kind of did this thing, like Total Recall or or um, Terminator, Terminator, yeah, or even like RoboCop later on. Like they have a they have a core sci-fi element um, that then they turn into an action adventure movie with like a, a philosophy underground underpinning, right? Yeah. Like, like can you create life? Can you? Yeah. Um, run away from your past like there's like thematically it definitely does have that but i guess sci-fi always to me and we've talked about this before that sci-fi seems to comment on 
like modern concerns. Yeah. And this doesn't really do that. It feels like it's a very self-contained, we're going to that universe, we're going to deal with their problems. It's not going to, it doesn't comment on any problems in our society. Yeah, that's really. Fair. I mean, if the, if the Genesis Project had been designed to terraform planets that had been ruined by global warming or climate change, then okay, now we're getting to the realm of like hard sci-fi. But I feel like that's what makes a film sci-fi. And this doesn't really have that. It's it's more, it definitely is an action adventure movie first. And I think the sci-fi yeah. elements are, are limited in scope. But I feel like, and I feel like, okay, so here's why I like it so much is that it works within the context of Star Trek. Like if you, if you've, watched the original series yeah. and you get to this point it's it's a great movie it's a great star oh. trek movie you know and, yeah and no, that's, no no for sure and that's it's the same thing with first contact is that it it does not have you know comments nope on i mean a little bit on the state of the world in, in the 21st century maybe if you want yeah. to look at it that way but you know uh it's really it's an action adventure it's an action movie adventure first. movie about revenge i think those parallels are very clear uh and it's it's and it's what makes a good film on a standalone and and they come at the right place in the franchise where if you know the characters you you just accept that this is going to be like we know kirk we know spock we know mccoy we know uhura we know we know where they're gonna be on the bridge we know what their positions are so we don't need to spend a lot of time exploring that like you do reintroducing people in in the, the motion picture yeah so um, you can just dive into the action and you've got these, like you, you wrote that in our notes here that, um, it had plot first and character second. And I, I really hard disagree with that because I think the characters are like of equal importance and play an equally important role as the plot does because their motivations, as much as any plot contrivance, move the plot forward. Oh, and, it's, and it yeah, happens yeah. because it, it's allowed to happen because we have all this history going back to 1966 yes, yes, or exactly. whatever of of these characters, these characters. Um, and understanding who they are. You know, you couldn't... I don't think you could have a yeah. Kirk-Spock death scene yeah, that doesn't, yeah. if it's if you've just known these characters for an hour and a half. Well, I think, it I doesn't think, have that impact. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think some people, if this is their entry to the to the series, yeah. to the to the world of Star Trek, they probably would be like, "Oh yeah, it's it's sad. They're friends. I get it." Yeah, it doesn't. But it, hit hit, the same. but it hits different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that. It still works both mm-hmm. ways. It mm-hmm. works better for for fans. Yeah. But it works for for just anybody watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. I, I feel like the that's what the 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 fact that it's plot first in the sense of um, that's what's always going to be focused on by the director if that makes sense like it's going to be like well this scene needs to hit these things and move along it needs to set this next thing in motion and keep it keep it going you're talking That's, about pacing yeah essentially you like, and, yes. and you and it is a well-paced movie i yeah. think you're yeah, okay. yeah, yeah 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 but i mean i think the the characters there's only one and my other point about the characters being second is that there's only one character that's developed in any depth and that is kirk himself everything else is kind of just um you know, they're there to illuminate some aspect of Kirk. McCoy makes a jive about him being old, and Kirk gives a little thing about being old. And then mm-hmm. uh, Spock says, "Oh, well, you're the you're the real captain. You should always be in charge, and I'm your best friend, and I'm going to look out for you." That's just there to enhance Kirk's character. Every everybody else is there. The only other character that exists really is Khan, and he's just you know pure vengeance. You know, he's literally just Ahab and the whale uh, brought back in mm-hmm. here, and that's what makes 
First Contact to jump ahead, we'll talk about this in a couple months. Uh, what makes First Contact work so well is that uh, you get both in the same character. You you have the one the man seeking vengeance is also the one main character who has to grapple with what this all means, and mm. that's and that's Picard in, in that case. So, but here you get Kirk as the primary thing. Everything's around Kirk. He's really just the one guy that that does anything and and kind of takes charge and. He, he's all the other characters react to him and stuff and then there's Khan driving the plot mm-hmm. of revenge and that dynamic works perfectly in an action adventure movie where yeah, you yeah, get yeah. a nice balance of character like you do it's not like Die Hard where no, like, I was just gonna say no die but it, it is kind of like well, Bruce McClane and Hans Gruber like you've got yeah. you know it, it kind of is though isn't it a little bit but it's it's a little bit more in depth that we to the point to Die Hard at the exact uh, same it's, time. It's, it is the iconic action movie for sure so but I feel like this one is is there's enough character development there to really feel something when when Spock dies even if you but the don't char- have the character that. development doesn't happen necessarily in the film I I agree with you that Kirk gets Kirk does get the character development that you're talking about yeah but there it doesn't mean that the other characters haven't had character development it's just that it hasn't happened in the film it happened before the film it happened in the original series when we see those friendships growing and mm-hmm. so I think they're it just you're right to say that it it wouldn't it hits different if you don't know the history of these characters. But I but I think the movie still does a good job of setting them up and setting up their dynamics so well by saying, like, yeah, I'm your friend. Like, here's some glasses. Here's some Romulan ale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's my advice in a book for the best of times, the blurst of times. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is... Yes, you know, yes, th- yes. Like, it still does that, that work. In fact, I... After watching the motion picture, you know, I had no idea what the relationships between these characters were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Because they just... That was definitely a plot first movie. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but here, again, because they had to kind of establish this, not just for new people, yeah, but yeah. for fans to say like, oh no, these guys are back to, you know, how they were in, in a mock time, you know? Yeah. Like, they're best friends again. Yeah. They're, they're, they're buddies. They're pals. And they had to reestablish that really quickly, and it's really effective in this movie. That, that's guess, that's really I my guess. only point about about the characters is that I, I think they they set it up well, but then it it does serve to eventually just drive the plot of Kirk fighting for survival and keeping his. I still think avoiding that, the Kobayashi Maru, right? Well, we'll get to the Kobayashi yeah. Maru. <laughs> cool. Well, live long and prosper. Don't you give me that sarcastic Vulcan salute? Let's talk thematically for a minute here, yeah, because yeah. I think the. The themes here, I I wrote in the notes, I'm reading them now, that it feels a little thin. But maybe it's not thin. Maybe they're just more subtle. Like what? Well, like you've got the theme of of revenge. You've got the theme of friendship. You've got the theme of like not being able to change the past, like having to live with the things that you've done, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do, and, and that kind of plays into the other two. But it doesn't feel it doesn't hit you over the head with it, and I guess that's not a bad thing. I don't. I'm not saying that to be a criticism. I just felt like it because it's an action adventure movie first and foremost. Those explorations of theme that I expect from a science fiction film just don't happen at the depth that I both expected and kind of want. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, like I I love the fact that Kirk is is grappling with growing older and that he's faced with his son who is 
you know, growing up into, you know, a young man that almost the same age that Kirk was when we first met him. Um, and so, but do something with that. It doesn't feel like it does anything with that. And, and, the, really? and it's, it pays off a little bit more in, in search for Spock. I think we get a little bit more of this, but, but I just, I feel like it doesn't, not the way that I expected it to. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm spoiled by next generation. They just <laughs> seem to have like something to say. There was something to say about each theme that they brought up. Yeah. And here it feels like the theme is just there, but they didn't really have anything to say about it. And that's fine for literally any other genre of movie. But sci-fi feels like it needs to have something to say. There needs to be a position. And I don't know what I don't know what that position is. I don't know what well, I guess I know what they're saying about revenge. Kind of? I don't know. <laughs> well, I I think it's about you know, life and, and death, you know, it was, it was, you know, it's kind of like, can you accept someone's death? Can you accept, you know, your own death? Can you, can you look death? That's what age is, right? Right. Age is the approaching death, you know, like you're getting old, your, your death is closer and closer all the time and you're, you're scared of it. Um, and that's, you know, that's what he's worried about Kirk. And then when he finally faces death, you know, he's avoided his whole career. He's avoided the Kobayashi Maru. He didn't want to do that. He He's always upset when he loses, uh, you know, crew members, at least in the first season of the original series. <laughs> it kind of goes right after that. But, you know, like he he's he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to feel old. He doesn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally does face it, he realizes that it's not the end of things. It's it's. It yeah. is not, you know, it is not age. That's why his his speech at the end, yes, it's a little, it's a little hackneyed, a little, a little emo. But he, but feels, young. he, he feels, feels young. He feels young. Again. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's legitimate though. Like I, I get yeah, that okay. because it, it is kind of the the nail on the head of this exploration of, you know, what does it mean to be a guy approaching your fifties uh, when your whole life was about being in your twenties and thirties and and you know kicking ass, swashbuckling, and, yeah, swashbuckling and and being Horatio Hornblower, and all of a sudden you're just not. And you, you have, you know, you're relying on these. I love this. Is my favorite part about the movie that I never noticed until this watch that we just did recently uh, was that everybody else is young. There's Khan who's old and then all of his yeah. all of his crew. They've been abandoned there for 12 years. Those guys must have been 14 when they got dropped off. Right. They're all in the like early 20s. Like they look exactly the same age as the Enterprise crew, which is all cadets and Savick yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Right. Like they are also young. It's it's these the old next people. generation nipping at your heels. Exactly. Kind of thing. Well, not only nipping at your heels, but your reliance on them. You know, it yeah. is again. You're getting old, and you're you're gonna be you're gonna be in an old folks home, or you're gonna be in some sort of uh, bad state. You're gonna be you're an gonna, admiral. Yeah. You're going to be an admiral in Starfleet, which basically means you're going to be evil. So yeah, right. You know, like, behind a desk. Yeah. And so evil. so there's like there's okay, that whole dynamic, fine. and they 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 kind of wrap it up to say like, yeah, you know what, death is terrible and it it hurts, but um, it does give you perspective that of what you still have in your life, and it's it's not all bad, and that's what Khan never got because Khan was just you know he was there to dish out vengeance and stuff, but Kirk gets that in the end. I don't know. I okay, I, I thought right, it was right. I thought it was actually pretty strong that way. But yeah, I guess I can see where you're coming. Like, from. Again, not Die Hard. There's no there's no final speech in Die Hard. There's just you know, uh, the guy shooting the bad guy and yeah 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 that's really it yeah yeah. yeah. Let's talk about pacing and let let's specifically talk about this uh, final battle between Khan yeah. um, on the Reliant and the Enterprise. Yeah. Which, holy shit, I never realized it until this time. Like, you made some offhand comment 
about like it being the hunt for red october or something i'm like oh my god you're right this is a submarine battle yeah and i'm like this is brilliant because it recontextualized the whole thing and i've never understood how star trek fans and there are some who argue that starfleet is not a military or naval operation yeah like how in the hell can you not think that the original series had the bosun's whistle (laughs) they have the ranks of a, a navy yeah um and you've got this submarine battle in Wrath of Khan. Like, how is this not military themed? Well, and it is. And I mean, I think, and again, that was Meyer choosing to, to yes, really lean yes, into it, right? Yes, because the it was always hornblower. Yes, absolutely. And it was it was always there. Again, we talked about this in our discussion of the original series. Is like some episodes really went into it, like the neutral zone. The neutral zone is exactly, basically the exact yes. same. You don't thing, know where right? your where your opponent other is, opponent is and, yeah. and you have like one shot, and you have to yeah. you know get the guys in the the shoot bays to pull the levers yeah, to make the things yeah. go right it's very you know traditional naval battle stuff um and then there's this esoteric you know sci-fi stuff and then there's the swashbuckling uh western fighting literally in the okay corral yeah. you know like so star yeah. trek did it all this time they leaned into the, the naval, naval stuff and it works to a t it is it is the strongest one and, and again it doesn't really especially next generation really did away with this um but the sense that these ships have like inertia and momentum and they like mm, by the time you get mm-hmm. to like uh especially ds9 and the big uh war with the, the, the dominion, dominion and everything war. like that everything is is airplanes like everything has that kind of motion yeah. feel like they're flying past each other and dipping and weaving and right. all sorts of stuff but these are these are starships with that are massively you know five thousand million tons and they move at you know sublight speeds and they're very slow and they, they, you know, they have that weight and that slow inertia to them. They're in a vacuum of space, but they're underwater. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. And they, they totally got rid of this by the time Next Generation and DS9 and stuff came around. But for this movie, it feels like well, that except and for, works, Except for so. cause and effect. I mean, then you have to blow the hatch in order to get out of the way. See, this so. is the thing. I mean, maybe maybe the technology, maybe the impulse engines are just a lot better <laughs> in, in by the time of TNG. <laughs> maybe. But uh, yeah. This no, is, that's, a, that's a really good point that it it does feel like this is the one film that that feels like a navy film it feels mm-hmm. like a, a submarine film and i just love that yeah. that that moment of it it just completely because i'm very claustrophobic <laughs> and so the idea that you are out there's somebody trying to kill you your ship is very badly damaged already <laughs> there's holes in your side yes yeah. <laughs> and and you cannot just like open the door and leave this yeah. situation because you are you will die no. um so it's like kill or be killed and you're blind and you're hurt and it's like that tension doesn't work if you've got you know state-of-the-art radar that is still operational or if you've got you know really fancy sensor sweeps yeah and shields and shields that work and and like no it doesn't you have to break it down to like world war ii subs that you know don't yeah, even have one shot sonar yeah, and yeah. Like, you know yeah you know one bad move and you're dead yeah. yeah and maybe you're gonna hit the lusitania instead of the yeah. you know yeah. by accident <laughs> exactly um but yeah and i i feel like uh i feel like the distinction between like a military and yeah. a science organization yeah. also got really blurred in tng um it was a little bit they, yeah again because they like spock was like your chief science officer he was mm-hmm. always kind of there mm-hmm. but 
it wasn't clear that they were a scientific organization. They never did any charting. It was always like they were delivering supplies or they, you know, they were doing kind of military. They could chart some things. Occasionally, but it was, you know. The original series, they didn't do that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But by the time of TNG, you know, it really is a science first organization. But, okay, I've been, I was talking to a friend whose husband is in the Royal Navy in Mm -hmm. uh, the UK. And we were, we were just talking about this exact thing the other day. And she goes, but the Navy does that. The Navy does chart things and they do explore things way more than they're off fighting. Like there's yeah. no, well, especially now. the yeah. Falklands hasn't, it's been how many years? <laughs> like 30, so they're not, years, they're yeah. not off fighting anywhere. They're, they're doing like survey missions and yeah. they're doing scientific explorations and they are doing that stuff. So, I mean, it tracks to have a, um, a military naval organization that also happens to ferry around some of the best scientists so that they can go places that no man has gone before so that yeah. they can, you well, know, see the birth of a, a stellar nursery. Well, yeah, yeah, sure. Stellar <laughs> nurseries get porn. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, and, it, and it works with, I mean, TNG, like, Roddenberry really revisited the idea, like, no, this is a more evolved society. Yeah. You know, like, there, there's yes. not even arguments amongst the crew, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it was a different, so it had a different ethos, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. so it, it made sense with that change. But uh, here, again, yes, you're right. As, as a standalone movie, mm-hmm. to perfection. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? Okay, I think we have to talk about the elephant in the radiated room. Um, and we talk about Spock's death The green-blooded, death now. The green-blooded elephant elephants yeah, in the okay. irradiated room. Um, Spock's death. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you already mentioned that it, it hits hard even if you don't have the background, the history of, of this really relationship. it really hits hard when you... Yeah, when like we were both in characters. tears. I don't think I've ever watched that scene and not cried. Yeah. And I just, I think here again the pacing is perfect because there's like i don't know i didn't count but there's several minutes between spock like realizing what he has to do getting up and leaving his station yes and kirk getting the call that he has to come down to engineering and he immediately looks over to spock's chair like that's his first instinct and spock's gone so that's when he realizes there i don't know how long it is but it's minutes Mm -hmm. that we are aware of something that kirk isn't and that tension and suspense and the drama of that that we know that Spock is going to die well before Kirk does is so well done that mm. then when Kirk runs down and he's there like literally minutes before Spock dies is like, and there's nothing you can do. It's, it's like, I get the feeling that, um, you know, you brought up the Kobayashi Maru. Um, Spock, I think, knew that if he mentioned his plan to Kirk, Kirk would try and yeah. like Manage weasel his, his way, way out, out of it, it because yeah. he always yeah. does. And if this were an original series episode, he would find a way to out logic the computer and then the <laughs> radiation would go away yeah. and they yeah. would just there would be some magical miracle with five seconds left on the clock. Yeah. Um but the fact that you don't get that escape hatch. Spock doesn't anyway, and neither does Kirk, really. Yeah. It means that he has to face this no-win scenario. Kirk does yeah. for the first time in his life, and he can't wiggle out of it. Yeah. And so Spock doesn't just save the Enterprise. He forces Kirk to face up to the thing, like you said, that he hasn't been facing up his whole life. Yeah. And I think that's... Yeah, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a well-earned character moment yeah it's a series of moments it's a well-earned yeah yeah that that whole sequence is just yeah absolutely i guess i wonder like 
what if Kirk could have pulled a miracle out of his ass, though? What like, do you mean, like? Well, like, I, I was thinking about that as, as I was writing it. I'm like, it really would have lessened the impact. There has to have been yeah. the sacrifice. You yeah. can't have... You can't set up this no-win scenario theme again yeah. throughout the film and yeah. then have him beat the beat no-win it. scenario. Yeah. You have to kill his best friend. Yeah, you well, if There's you want, no way if to you do want it. some character development. Yeah. If you want it to be die hard, then no, he doesn't yeah, need yeah. to. Yeah, he can just go and do it. But yeah. for this film, yeah. absolutely. It was the way it was structured is absolutely makes requires that. And mm-hmm. it, it is, yeah. It's a it's a really good gut punch. And I feel like that again, even if you probably haven't seen it, and again, I don't know anybody who's in that situation of having never watched Star Trek. And then they uh, watch Wrath of Khan. Yeah, like I, I would love to introduce someone who's never seen it, seen Star Trek before. To we just did this Wrath with Twin Peaks. I don't know how well <laughs> it went over that time. <laughs> Star hey, Trek maybe is a little more yeah, and this, uh, and approachable. This movie, and this movie, like I, I feel like this movie is is a short, pretty quick romp and there's not, there's not a lot of... Sure you know, weight or expectations to it. Um, it's not, it's not fire walk with me where we introduce people to it that way first. Right. So, um, you don't, you don't need to have watched space seed. Like I said, to know that Khan is the bad guy. I had not seen space seed until we watched the original series for the first time. You're joking. You're a liar. No, a I lying never, liar who lies. I might have seen it as a kid, but I did not know. Your like, parents never showed you Space Seed. They we never didn't ta- own the, the series. We just watched it when it was on TV. And Space Seed never came up, or at least it was one of those episodes maybe I wasn't paying attention to because it was a little heavy handed. Okay, but, but you but did understand, like. No, but that's the thing. My point is, yeah. I didn't need to. Yeah. You, I, I got that Khan is a bad guy who feels wronged by Kirk. That's all you need for this movie. You really don't need to see Space Seed um, because then you'll realize that Khan is a liar and he didn't see Chekhov there because Chekhov was not there and yeah. the plot holes would just start adding <laughs> in my mind. So. so then, okay, here's just random question for you. Yeah. Going back and, and like remember watching Space Seed for the first time, how does that color your interpretation of Khan or did it no it, it was actually I know you commented like oh he looks really old and he looks like a different guy Ricardo Monaldon I think it's just this. because he's got bangs he's got a fringe it looks <laughs> makes him look different Fair. and his hair color is different there but for he had me, box dye on SETI <laughs> Alpha 5 for me uh it, it added to it because it's like he really did nail the character in both in both the film and even the TV show. You kind of realize he does bring a little dynamism, a little you know. He has some, he well, has some really strong camera presence. He, he's it, definitely it one of you don't you don't hire Ricardo Montalban at the height of his fame in 1967 or something, yeah. and expect something other than that kind of screen presence. Yeah. I re- I rewatched Space Seed yesterday in order to just and and having watched Wrath of Khan like we watched it what two nights ago yeah. So, and then seeing him, you know, 15 years earlier, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I could see it's, it is, it is him. And he does, he just plays it differently. He's, he's much more of a, he's just got so much gravitas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess the one thing that, that stood out to me about that whole, that whole thing that I think having watched Space Seed first or having at least revisiting Space Seed you know, around watching Wrath of Khan, is that you realize how committed Kirk was to saving Khan's life when they first, yeah. like, get on the, the Botany Bay. Yeah. Um, and how, like, this was a moment of, like, curiosity for that historian on the ship. Yeah. You know, and it was... it was Khan's wife, there was, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, was, there was a long... Uh, 
like it's ironic it really is and and you don't get that of course they didn't intend for that when they film that episode although you do get that bit at the end where they're like we'd like to go back in a hundred years and yeah, yeah, yeah. see what it would be like what what kind of seeds we've planted um and they didn't have to wait that long <laughs> well they shouldn't see. have waited 12 years as cons but, but anyways. yeah i mean it's just i think that adds a little bit to the kirk con dynamic knowing that kirk did bring him out of stasis well and, and he, kirk he is responsible for this yeah. You know, like he could have executed them yeah. or, or sent them down to SETI Alpha 6, yep. you know, the terrible planet. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. He, he didn't. He, it was, he was a quality of mercy. Yeah, exactly. It was a little Porsche speech. And it was like, okay, well, why is Khan so pissed? <laughs> like he, well, yeah, he saved I mean, him once. Like, and was, it's like, it's not even... It was Kirk's it's fault not Kirk's that the, fault that the, the planet egg. blew up and yeah. then his his planet got destroyed and... But that's but he, what that's what Ricardo Montalban does so well. Yeah, he yeah, just yeah. sells it like he's like, you know what, this guy's pissed. And, and the fact that Kirk, Kirk also has such hatred for Khan doesn't track because I mean, unless he's just really upset that he lost that that one historian that he <laughs> wanted to sleep with and was jealous of. I don't know. I mean, he was feeling old. Let's let's yeah. leave it at that. And actually, that's a great uh, segue to today's sponsor. Uh, Genesis to go. <laughs> Feeling old? Boy, I know I sure am. But what if there was a pill to make it all go away and make you feel like a youngling all over again? Little Star Wars reference for you. Well, now there it is. With the Genesis to go pill, you you too can surge past feelings of inadequacy and over the hillness <laughs> to take your rightful place back amongst the youth of, well, your youth. Genesis to go automatically rewrites your genetic code to an earlier, fresher, and more attractive you. Kind of like transporters frequently do, but without the risk of dematerializing into nothingness. <laughs> Instead, take one pill, just one, and the Genesis to go will metamorphosize your entire body and mind to remove that ailing eyesight or tender lower back. You don't even have to lose your best friend in the process. A newer, fresher you is just a pill away. Request your Genesis to go today. <laughs> All right, all right, that's good. It's good. I don't know that I'd want to use it though. Yeah, well, I mean, all those episodes where they just like they did it in the Lorelai signal that we just yeah. uh, did the watch along for recently. Yep. Uh, they just beam them back into the younger selves. They did it when Picard and Guinan and all those guys went into the younger selves. They beam them back as the older selves. Why are they not just doing this? Yeah, like you said, you're I like know. they have a key this to fountain of youth is the replicators. Nope, the transporters. transporters. And I just yeah. <laughs> like what the hell? They never really expand on this because so. immortality is not something you want. Of course not. That's why I don't want to use a Genesis to go pill. I'm looking forward to my gray hair. You and Kirk, you need your age. I need my pain. Bixlog 2383.4. What is perfection? I'm not entirely sure that such a thing exists or can exist in such a fallible world as ours, but the question nevertheless intrigues me especially as it relates to discussions Commander Aiden and I have been pondering of late regarding the thematic and plot elements of some of our favorite pop culture artifacts. Is the topic of our current discussion the perfect encapsulation of its franchise? Perhaps it is worth a brief bicker. So, Aiden, on a plot or thematic level, is Wrath of Khan a perfect encapsulation of what makes Star Trek Star Trek. Okay, I feel like the inclusion of the word perfect is a little, you know, restrictive because Bullshit. <laughs> you were the one who you came up with this fucking question. I came up with the origin. God damn it. And that you up, said perfect in your op- 
I said best. There's a difference. Okay. Do I think? Oh my I, God. Do I, like I said, do I answer think? The tw- answer the question. As you phrased it? As you phrased it? Question mark? I don't know. <laughs> How are you? You did on? it. You did. You, you phrased it. I guess I have to answer that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say yes. I think that this is because it has that nice tight balance of a sci-fi element, the Genesis planet, mm-hmm. Genesis device. It has characters that you care about, that you grow to know and love, and you know what they want is what you want. That's driving it, driving the plot. Mm-hmm. And then the plot, the action sequences, the dialogue, the witticism. I th- That's one of my favorite parts about this movie that we didn't even talk about is the fact that, you know, it's just, there's some good one-liners and, and Scotty's got some witty things to say and, and everybody's kind of just doing their, their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Chekhov's cracking jokes and stuff like that. Like everybody's just going on about it. Um, and it winds up in a cohesive package that feels like the perfect set of Star Trek. Lindsay, oh, you yeah, you, you disagree, obviously. Um, yeah, and I think I, I think I, I think you knew where I was going to land on this because um, we kind of preemptively talked about this a little bit a earlier little bit. in the episode. But um, I don't think I don't think it's it's good Star Trek. It's entertaining Star Trek. It's an entertaining film. I don't think it's the perfect or the best of what Star Trek has to offer. I think it's it's a little bit problemy for the masses it's a little summer blockbuster even though i don't think this was a summer blockbuster film no, I think about um so i i feel like it it's it's a very good movie it's still one of my favorite movies but i don't like it because it's it's not my favorite movie because it's a good star trek movie it's my favorite it's one of my favorite movies because it's just an entertaining movie aside from the ear bug thing that yeah, i can't really watch. Can't i watch really can't watch that, watch that. That's um and, and for the reasons that I've already said, like, I think there's just not enough of a Star Trek-y sci-fi element. There's a little bit too much of the Star Wars fantasy element thrown in. Not fantasy. In, you know, but, I know but what you mean. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that it's missing the beating heart of sci-fi, which is having that that deeper connection to elucidating some problem that... A current contemporary modern society is experiencing and then you're extrapolating that to 200 years in the future and making you look back it's it's lifting a mirror to your current society and asking you to reflect on what you've done i think the best of star trek is when they do that very well like the deep space nine uh sanctuary districts um or that's so heavy-handed like it, yeah, it, no like, it, but that's sci-fi like like well, true sci-fi does I, feel very heavy-handed no that's that's a dichotomy that's a false dichotomy because, i don't think it is no, when was because, the last time you read a sci-fi novel that wasn't heavy-handed no it can be you can have a, a, a good in-depth exploration of the topic you can even be heavy-handed it doesn't make it a good story first you need in no, order to, no, you no. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I my get point. It, I get yeah. it. This is a good story. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's a good film, and it what, has why a good do you story. Watch Star, Star Trek for the I, stories, not for the not for the the sci-fi elements of it are important, but they are not the critical reason. They I, they are something that illuminates something about humanity, and whether yes. it, in this case, in this case, 
I'm talking over you now. Yes, you are. <laughs> in this case, the thing that's being illuminated is age and For sure. the, the, the thematic expressions there. But I think that what what makes Star Trek strong for me, and it's because it's a television show first, is that you have so much time to explore these characters that then when you put them in an interesting situation that illuminates something about your current you know, world or whatever, it's it's far more interesting because of the characters. And that's what I love about about Wrath of Khan is the character development, yeah. which we've already talked about. The plot is still very good. I just feel like the plot that we've put these wonderful characters in is not... I'm I'm missing that sci-fi element that I want. That's all. I, I'm just I saying. I'm saying there. you need you I, need yes. The Genesis Project, fine, it's no, but, there, but, but I it's think there there's... thematically, like the Genesis Project is all about no, creating life not. from death. I don't, I don't it think is... it is there thematically. I don't think it is there thematically. There is a theme. I'm saying it's a film theme. It's not a Star Trek theme. It's not the same kind of Star Trek theme that I that I love so much. And you don't get that in the films, really, aside from the motion picture and. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Like, there's no... Like, the films have to do something different. The films... I don't think the films are ever going to be the perfect encapsulation of what makes Star Trek Star Trek because they're not the television show. And the television show has... Is Star Trek. Is Star Trek. It's, it's the little bites of life that you get, at, you know, an hour-long episode or half an hour if you're in the Lower Decks or the they, animated They get half the yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you get, you get, like, you know, a slice of, of life and your problem of the week, your monster of the week or alien of the week... Um, and it feels like sci-fi, and that's what I like about it. And the films just don't... I don't think the films could ever do that. I think that's why I like the motion picture so much, is because it's it does feel like it's trying to do something bigger and grander than what films what, what, are. What is, what is the motion picture explaining about current life? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing. It's just... No, I, okay. I, I, know what, I know what you mean. I yes. know what you mean. And I, I, do, I do agree that there's, there's an element of what the the motion picture does and that this one doesn't is have at its core what's driving the plot is a science fiction um premise Mm -hmm. you know this this v'ger that has come back and is doing weird things and and sciencey things and they have to grapple with that yeah here they're grappling with uh human rage you know and and the need for revenge and those aren't the same things um and and I get that, like, and I think I think you're right. A lot of the really great Star Trek plots uh, or episodes are, you know, like here's a great sci-fi plot or a great sci-fi premise. Let's throw these characters that we know and love mm-hmm. into it and have them explore it. Like mm-hmm. like for some reason the Riker, uh, you know, being attracted to the androgynous, yeah, the non-binary, the non-binary species, yeah. um, you know, comes to mind. It's like here are these characters. Or let's toss them measure in. of a man, where you're dealing with civil rights or yeah, yeah, or human exactly, rights, yeah, right? yeah, right. Like the, those are the the core things, and yeah. and I get that. Um, and, but I, I think, I don't think that's always what brings people back to Star Trek. I think part of it is those characters. I think it is the inner light. I think I'm not disagreeing with you. And I'm just saying this movie does that part better. And in that way, because it's, because that, in my mind, those two things are kind of equal. And this one, just because it happens to be a really good movie that focuses more on that side of things, it's great. I, I think maybe there is a there is a way to do a good sci-fi first movie. You know, like you could do something like, I don't know. I was thinking of Arrival, which is like a pretty sci-fi yeah. heavy movie, right? Um, something like that, where it's, it's like, here's a sci-fi premise. Let's have the characters go in and explore it. Um I think you could do something like that, mm-hmm. but 
none of the Star Trek movies that have tried that path have, have come out very good. I know. I'm just saying that's because I think it's the nature of the medium. And I don't well, think no, but I just I don't you know. think I don't think the films that we have are that necessarily that um they're never going to be the like I said, the perfect encapsulation. Maybe that was a yeah. a leading way of saying that. But um Perfect. Yeah. I mean I just <laughs> I just think that the it's See, okay, okay. We're we're both right because I will say I don't think it is a perfect one, but I think it is the best of the movies. In you said sense. first contact was your favorite. It's first contact is my favorite, but it is mm. it is not as strong in the sense of giving you a Star Trek. That one is like that one is a, an episode that was extra- expanded into a movie that was done really well. Really, this is a standalone movie that could not be a that could not be a TV episode. And the pacing is just too tight. There's too much going on. There's too many thematic things that you would lose track of over the course of two or three episodes. But First Contact, you could have done that as a three-part TV episode and it would have been fine. Because everyone's fine at the end. Everything's wrapped up neatly. This one, the stakes of Spock dying even alone kind of kind of push it in, into, a, into a new world. Although you're right. As I say that, nobody dies in the TV series. So maybe it's not a perfect encapsulation. <laughs> Anyways... You were right. I was a little less right. No, I... Mm. <laughs> draw? I think we have to call it a draw. Okay, fair. Because we both like this movie so much. I know. There's nothing to really say bad about it. No. Wait till we get to the the rest of the odd-numbered films that you're going to have things to say. Although Search for Spock is not Yeah, I like, I like Search for Spock. Which will be the next thing we talk about. Yes, guess, it will be. in a couple be. of weeks. So um, we'll have to rewatch that one because... We watched the movies late. It was like a year ago. We watched all the movies. I know, but it takes me so long to... I forget things so easily. <laughs> what did I have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> you asked just today. You were like, what did we have for dinner last night? And I literally I, could not remember. I, and I couldn't remember when you said it. I'm like, I had to pause. I was playing a video game and I'm like, what the fuck did we... <laughs> we're like just getting old, Lindsay. We're, we're getting to, to the Shatnerian age. Maybe of, I do need Genesis to go. <laughs> I think we could but all just use just a for the dose. brain, just for the brain. Fair. What fair. was the other word I forgot today? I forgot what the word was, <laughs> but I forgot. It's Not ridiculous. A good sign. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. It's but, happening more and more frequently. I yeah. think. I think we're just tired. I think life. I think life wears you down. Yeah. I think that's another another thing we have to worry about. But anyways, uh, it doesn't have to wear you down, audience, because uh, you know, hopefully, you're spending it well, your time on this world. Yeah. Well, uh, you're listening to this podcast, so you're not spending it that well. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you thank you um and yeah until search for spock thank you again for joining us yeah live long and prosper but not live. too long oh you were gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna it. say it but now you ruined Fuck. it oh my god i ruined it it's never gonna happen again you can find all our episodes on spotify podbean apple podcasts and itunes or wherever you get your podcast fix We love to talk Star Trek with our fellow nerds and would love to hear from you if you have thoughts or ideas about any of our discussions or the topics we've brought up. You can reach out to us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Beam us up, Scotty.